episode of All the WrestleManias. I'm your co-host, Tim Hackman. And I'm your co-host, Rich Sigwald. We had a lot of fun breaking down WrestleMania 8 for you in our last episode. And so to this time, we've got another Not Just WrestleMania's edition, and actually a Not Just WWF uh, edition. This will be our first show that was not a WWF slash WWE. We're uh, taking a look at the 1989 Chi-Town Rumble, um, our recent foray into the 1985 wrestling classic, let us down more than a few rabbit holes, and one NWA slash WCW show kept kind of coming up uh, when we were looking for you know older shows to watch. So we went back uh, and watched this one, and who boy, are we glad we did. So we'll break it down for you. But first, we wanted to get into some podcast news and some other wrestling-related content that we wanted to highlight. So Rich, uh, any uh, I know you had some website updates that you wanted to share with the folks. Yeah, so we've been toiling away hard at uh, updating the website. And first, the major update is that we actually bought the domain name. So you can now just go to allthewrestlemanias.com, and that will take you right on over to our website. And from there, you'll not just find our old episodes and our current episode, but you'll find uh, links to short little uh, biographies about myself and about Tim. And you'll be able to find links to different music that we've used on the show. We've also curated a references page. So you can visit that page and say you hear us reference a promo that we both love, such as Jake the Snake confronting The Undertaker. And that's when The Undertaker turned face. We have a link to a video of that promo on our website now. So if we will try to keep as many of those as we can going and pay attention to what we're talking about so that we can post those things. So keep an eye out on that and you can check that out. There's also a link to our blog and links to our social media of Facebook on Twitter at WrestleMania pod. And you can always email us at WrestleMania blog at gmail.com. And also on the website, we now have a user submission form. So you can go ahead and submit requests, questions, anything you'd like to us yeah very cool the uh, website looks great richard's been doing a ton of work on there he keeps sending me updates i'm like that looks good oh that also looks good hey that looks good too so we just keep, it keeps getting better and better i'm especially excited about the music page uh, you can go and check out some of the theme music that richard's created for the podcast and he's got a, a few uh sort of variations on his theme already there's a classic hard rock theme there's a 8-bit video game theme i'm sure we'll get a dubstep uh, theme eventually um so i've been thinking string quartet possibly Ooh, you know that get would a be fancy. fancy and classy you know you could have people using it for their weddings yeah uh can can you please play uh the all the wrestlemania's theme as the bride comes <laughs> down we would really love that it's the kind of thing that lasting uh commitments are built on so. It's like Macho Man and Elizabeth. That's right, which we all know lasted forever. Anyway, um, so some other uh, wrestling content we just wanted to highlight at the top of the show. Uh, last night on ep on the episode of SmackDown, uh, Big E suffered a broken neck in his match with Ridge Holland. as a pretty nasty bump, so we're sending him a lot of good thoughts and uh, best wishes for a quick and full recovery. He did post some stuff on Twitter. He seemed to be in good spirits, so we like Big E. I hope he, you know... Hope he does okay. Hope he's able to come back. And um, for sure, that was, that was a nasty bump. So, yeah. Um, and on Rich's recommendation, I went and watched the Stone Cold uh, Broken Skull sessions featuring Ron Farouk Simmons 
And I just got to say, damn, damn. Um, <laughs> what an, what an amazing episode. That guy is such a storyteller. Um, I, he needs to read audiobooks cause he's got maybe one of the best voices I've ever heard. Oh my God. I would listen to him and read the telephone book to me. <laughs> It's a it's a really great show. There's some amazing footage of him um, training with Hiro Matsuda and uh, and guys like uh, Hacksaw Butch Reed, who we'll see on this show. Um, there's also some really good clips of his stuff uh, from sort of the Attitude Era and the Accolade Protection Agency. One of my favorites is when he tells, uh, I think he tells Road Dog, if that check bounces, so do you. <laughs> <laughs> He's yeah. got some good lines. Yeah, but man, I forgot about that training sequence with uh, Hiro Matsuda. That Oh my God, he's kicking his ass. Like you wouldn't think you'd ever see Ron Simmons get his ass kicked, but my God, the, the workout that they're going through is this terrifying. Yeah. Matsuda clearly put those guys to their paces. Um, and really, yeah. So, and there was no air conditioning in the room and stuff like <laughs> no. that. Oh, they're, and they're just like covered in sweat. It's, yeah, it's very uncomfortable looking. So highly recommend that if you like Stone Cold, especially if you like Ron Simmons, which you know that we do. That's a great one. And then the other one that I just dipped into after that was a little show called Table for Three, which I wasn't familiar with. Um, so I actually caught season one, episode one from 2015, uh, which is an episode with WrestleMania legends. So it's the premise of the show is it's three folks from wrestling kind of sitting down to dinner and they just, you know, they talk about whatever. They bullshit a little bit, tell some stories. But this one has Mean Gene Oakland, Roddy Piper and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Uh, so that right there, that's, you know, highly recommend. You know, all three of those guys are no longer with us, of course. So it's really, it was nice to hear them sit down and talk. They they all look super old here. <laughs> at, yeah. one, at one point, uh, Mean Gene's phone rings and he can't like figure out how to turn it off or whether it's even his phone. So that made me laugh a little bit. I love Mean Gene's outtakes. I've seen a couple and they're just hilarious. Like that voice that he always had was like his normal voice. So it was just weird to suddenly hear him curse or something like that <laughs> or like be angry. So. Yeah, and he of course had a much bigger role off screen, you know, that with the with the WWF back in the day. Um, but they they have some good stories. They talk a little bit about uh, Mr. T, and Piper obviously was not a fan. He sort of looked at Mr. T as somebody who wanted to kind of like come in and uh, play wrestler and kind of get a little bit of fame off of the guys who were doing the actual uh, work. So that didn't go over particularly well. And I think maybe my favorite is. Piper telling a story about how Johnny Valentine used to like shit in people's cowboy hats. Um, and at multiple points where he's, he's recounting this story, he acts it out. Um, so you can make sure that, you know, you can imagine what it lo would look like for somebody to shit in a cowboy hat. And he, he says multiple times, and he would always put the Dairy Queen whip on it. Which <laughs> is disgusting. Oh. Um, I don't know um, what that means, but I don't uh, well, like it. <laughs> if you watch it, you can see Piper kind of wiggle a little bit so that you get, you know, the swirl, you know, the like the little oh. cone. Ew. So, yeah, I know. Right. I, that's um, it's not yeah. like the chocolate shell dip. Right. It's just <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> so Piper died, of course, in 2015. So this may actually be one of the last pieces of video he did i'm not sure actually when it was recorded but anyway there's a couple more episodes i want to check out there's one with wcw legends where it's sting and vader and ddp um together so uh, i'm gonna check those out so all right uh i think we're done with uh with the news and the media highlights so i guess it's time to talk the shy town rumble hell yeah on peacock under the wcw brand um but of course there's sort of a complicated story about kind of 
which promotion we're actually watching here that Rich will talk about just in just a second. This was held February 20th, 1989. It was at the University of Illinois, Chicago, the UIC Pavilion. It's still there, actually. It's now the Credit Union One Arena, because of course it is. Uh, the attendance for the show was about 8,000. So, you know, quite a bit away from the kind of the WrestleMania shows. You kind of get an idea of the scale of these NWA, WCW shows versus, uh, you know, things like the WrestleManias. Uh, and the runtime on this one was two hours and 29 minutes. So this show uh, is very early under the WCW name. Just recently, Ted Turner had purchased Jim Crocker Promotions, which operated under the NWA. So I'm not going to try to dig into that too much because it's extremely complicated, extremely weird, and uh, I don't want to get anything wrong and set any kind of wrong history going in our uh, in our podcast here. Not like that stopped us before, but <laughs> here we are this time because this one, it, it's as far too convoluted and the business thing, and it draws your attention away from the awesome wrestling that happens on this show yeah. if we dive too much into it because we could spend two hours just trying to talk about vince jim crockett the nwa and and how all of that plays into each other and ted turner and the mix and it's like it's too much it's too it's just too much the reason why we're saying that is too much is that some of the things that happen on this card are out of the complicated changes and management that is happening in WCW, Jim Crock Promotions, NWA, whichever one it decides to call itself today. <laughs> well, the as, as you're watching the show, the branding on everything is clearly NWA. That's what's on the ring apron. That's what all of the belts are referred to as NWA titles. Um, so I think maybe for, I don't know, maybe for ease of reference if not necessarily historical accuracy i'm probably just going to refer to it as an nwa thing throughout here it is still technically an nwa show so we will we will stick with the nwa vernacular uh for now uh with this um but as for some background is what's happening in wrestling in general this happens a month and a half before wrestlemania 5 which is a huge WrestleMania as that's where uh, the building up tension between Hulk Hogan and Macho Man uh, finally blows out in the main event. And that's being held in Atlantic city on the boardwalk. And for attendance comparison, 18,946 folks attended WrestleMania five wow. compared to the 8,000. And I'm sure that was a sellout for the um, UIC pavilion. So uh, it's going to be easier to talk about some of the, the craziness uh, that happens in this show, mainly the one match of the Midnight Express versus the Midnight Express. And that <laughs> match is, is simply because of all the chaos that is happening in the back of, of um, WCW, NWA, Jim Crock Promotions, whichever one it decides to be the day. Um <laughs> Yeah, I will. I'll tell. Um, there's, I have two books on my shelf actually um, that sort of kind of talk about some of this stuff. They're both by Tim Hornbaker actually. One is called National Wrestling Alliance The Untold Story of the Monopoly That Strangled Professional Wrestling. So it's kind of wearing its um, 
biases on its sleeve there a little bit. And then the other one is Death of the Territories, Expansion, Betrayal, and the War that Changed Pro Wrestling Forever. Um, and those two books together kind of really tell the story of you know the NWA, what it meant to wrestling, the, the era of the territories, and then sort of how all of that changed. Um, and and especially right around this time, there was just a, just a tremendous amount of churn and turmoil that leads to some of these weird matches on this card. This card also features almost every single wrestler that is signed to Jim Crockett Promotions, WCW at the time. The only folks that aren't on it are like Dusty Rhodes. Ron Simmons is is there. That's that's just about it. Damn. Just about everybody else is on the card on this show. So, and it's very evident when when you look at the the first match features a jobber. Yeah, so I I say let's let's just get into it cuz okay. um the 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 show is very weird itself in its presentation as it seems like what we're actually watching is a VHS uh a rip of the VHS which I think everything on Peacock is of of the event and so that means that the opening segment with Jim Ross and Magnum TA uh, definitely seems like it was it was taped after. There's right. weird things happening in the background. Uh, we can see wrestling happening as they're recording it. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah, and there's also, uh, they throw to a video preview of the event we're about to watch um, during that opening commentary section, which is kind of a weird thing. It's like, hey, here's the video highlights that you're about to see that, you know, in theory would have been in the future if they were actually recorded live so right that part really confused me because i couldn't tell like was that actual footage from the event just from different camera angles or was that footage of every wrestler just in different times um and like the opening of the show is very long it takes a while before we get to the to the first bell um it does feature some sweet synth music um (laughs) i was i was digging it I thought you would like that. Are you gonna yeah. are you gonna sample any of that for the theme song? Mm, not yet. <laughs> Maybe. Let me check the copyright on that. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. So the very first thing that I wrote down is the promo with Michael P. S. Hayes. Um, he's got his Trader's flag robe on. You know, first from the Freebirds. Uh, um, the the audio is terrible. It this it's sort of like the mics weren't in the right place or something. I don't know. It's like the first five uh, or six episodes of this podcast. I mean, he uh, is hyped up and he's all over the place. He can't, <laughs> he can't get close. He's not staying close enough to the microphone. And so like, is this like, this is going to be a, a great event. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be great. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to fight the Russian assassin. It's I'm going to beat him. And then we also got Lex Luger versus Barry Windham. Right. And we got like, oh, yeah, he's sort of he's sort of like doing a promo for his own match a little bit, but it's mostly for the whole event. Like he's just, yeah, he's just thrilled to be there, really. Yeah, Um, he's fired up. (laughs) He he was definitely in the the, uh, Bolivian Martian powder before this. This match is is what it sounds like. Most likely. Most likely. Um, I also I haven't seen that much Freebirds. I think my. My the most exposure I had to the Freebirds is uh, when they have that wrestling match at the beginning of Highlander, and um, and Connor McLeod goes to the <laughs> Madison Square Garden. And uh, anyway, and so I I don't know if the whole hey, he was in him... the gimmick Battle Royal that we recently yeah. watched too, even though right. it's not a gimmick. 
Right. And I, you know, I remember him from sort of the Doc Hendricks days where he was mostly like uh, whatever he was supposed to be. But I guess what I'm trying to get around to is, is the rhyming in his promos, is that like a trademark thing of his or is this just something that yeah, he, I the believe cocaine so. told him to do at this show? The rhyming is definitely something that, that the Freebirds did in their promos. Oh, okay. It's really yeah. terrible. Like yes, it is. Like, like the, the rhymes aren't even close most of the time. But, you know, what kind of education do you think they offer on Bad Street USA? <laughs> it's not good. The schools can't good. be good in that area if it's called no. Bad Street USA. There's no way, you know. There's no the property tax are... base on Bad no. Street USA. No. Yeah. Well, everybody rents. It's <laughs> nobody owns that property. It's all a bunch of, you know, slum lords, you know, whatever. Yeah. Our public school system has failed yet another bright student like Michael P.S. Hayes. It's too bad. Yeah. So. Anyway, so he did, uh, you know, pick up enough uh, patriotism in his in his meager school education to uh, to wrestle the Russian assassin. This is Russian assassin number one, number uh, one, with, with Paul Jones as his manager. Um, I like that when they introduce the Russian assassin, they give his weight in kilos. That made me yes. laugh. <laughs> well, you know, it's it, it sticks with everything. He probably is like. Also knows how many hectares it is from his house to to the ring as well. So, <laughs> yeah. um, I'd say he looks pretty cool for a jobber. Honestly, he's got a kind of bitching uh, outfit with the Russian bear and the hammer and sickle and the red and yellow of the you know Soviet yeah. flag. The Soviet Union was still a thing, right? This is what it is. Oh yeah, yeah. It's the very so, end. It's the very end of it, but yeah. it's still a thing. So, and I also noted that guys in masks always lost in the eighties. Like, I don't. Every jobber's in a mask, and it's because they don't want you to realize that, like, the same guy's fighting, like, ten times right. in a night. <laughs> They're all the Brooklyn brawler. Yeah. He's been around. He's actually a Highlander. He's been around since the 1400s, um, and he just he just jobs. Yeah. So, anything um, you want to talk about for this, this yeah, match? Yeah, I mean... It's um, pretty damn long. Jesus. For, for a match against a jobber to go 16 minutes, like, this match was forever... Though yeah. Michael Hayes reminded me a lot of Shawn Michaels in this match, the way mm-hmm. he moves, uh, his frame. Uh, though Michael Hayes is 27 at this point, and oh, wow. Jim Ross points it out, I thought he looked 37. <laughs> I like. I guess back then everybody looked older. Like life was just harder. I guess, and everybody looked older. Um, I think in 1989, like life expectancy was 45. So. He's practically dead here. Right. Cause I mean, like Ric Flair looks old and he's not at this point. Yeah. And, uh, so they're not really doing a lot of technical work. And I guess it's because it's, it's assassin. Number one is this a jobber. It's his name is David Sheldon is his real name. Yeah. Um, and he, he fights under like 10 different aliases in his career. <laughs> this is one of them. Um, and he's just in like this giant stable that I can't remember the guy's name formed. It's not, it doesn't matter. It's not really referenced much in this show. It doesn't really come up. It seems like David Sheldon's main gimmick was the angel of death. That was kind of the one that he had the longest and had the most success with, uh, with. So, yeah. Um, these guys should not been given more than 10 minutes of work and they're out there for 16 (laughs) and it's just why is this match still happening? Like it's really, long. and then it's, and then I realize that they're trying to do like a two and a half hour show and they don't have any more people on their roster that can come out and fight. Like I was like, I was all planning to be like, well, why don't they have Ron Simmons come out and fight somebody? Or why don't they have da, 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 to come out? And it's like, oh, there is no alternative. 
for people to come out because I think everybody's working tonight, right? Because I think Dusty Rhodes is hurt, and like there's weird there's weirdness because he was also the booker of Jim Crockett Promotions until mm-hmm. this point, um, and he just got canned from that job, and he's not happy about it. So that also might be why he's not on the card, and it's weird. And but you know, Michael Hayes lands a DDT, pins him, and the, like out of nowhere, it's like yep. they're just like slugging away and doing things not very interesting and then suddenly a ddt and a pin and it's over well and i think that's actually a, something that we'll probably mention oh i don't know six seven more times in this show is the pins the finishes just come out of nowhere um like they're they have a real kind of back and forth going there's a bunch of sort of false finishes and then right um russian assassin drops down for the backdrop too early and while his head is down hayes grabs it and ddt's him and that's that's the end of that and he just takes off so it's not a terrible match. I mean, it's actually, I'd say it's actually pretty um, emblematic, maybe, of kind of a, you know, low-level uh, card match from this this time and this promotion. So it's... Yeah, it's given us the yeah. real uh, concept that this show is rough on the edges. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's very rough. The lighting's weird. The lighting's bad. The camera angles are weird. The crowd is fired up and hot. Like, yeah, it's just, well, it's a Chicago crowd, so... We keep finding these events that happened in Chicago and every single time it's like everybody is this, it's just like an insanitarium there going on. <laughs> Chicago is always ready to uh, get it on. So yeah. Uh, and the other, uh, it is, it is sort of a low budget show, which is weird. Like given the quality and the, the caliber of the talent that's in this thing, you know, it's, these are world-class guys, you know? Um, but like and the other thing is it's always a trip to see like what the ring barrier looks like uh in the old days you know yeah so so at a certain point you know there's like the steel like gates you know things like the the barriers the, like they put the up bicycle yeah. yeah the bicycle rack looking things um but that's not even that here it's like one it's like two horizontal uh bars yeah um and i don't even think they're bolted to the floor because a few times people no, hit them and they just kind of like roll around <laughs> yeah um they're just kind of like really crappy looking like little like blue fencing and like i will yeah. say that when it when it's time for the big show starcade they wrap them in christmas lights oh thank god for that um so that really adds a lot of class and pop to the presentation of the show <laughs> class all right so let's uh let's leave Michael P.S. Hayes and the Russian Assassin and get on to match number two, and that is Sting versus Hacksaw Butch Reed. I was looking forward to this match. Yeah. Oh, there was a Ricky Steamboat promo. Oh, I missed it. Right, with his baby. this match. Yeah, he's got, like, his kid with him, and his kid's trying to grab the microphone during the whole thing. <laughs> it was and, like It was. Um, Ricky Steamboat's got this, like, delivery of his promos. It's very similar um to like Jake the Snake, he just like talks and he's really low key and just and but like he talks like Hulk Hogan in it and he's like, I've been saying my prayers, I've been taking my vitamins, <laughs> and I know Ric Flair is an honorable opponent and he's going to be a tough opponent for me tonight. But I my dream is to win the NWA World Championship. And I'm gonna win it for my child. that's an amazing recreation rich i thank you for that i was like how did ricky steamboat get any like thank god his wrestling is is amazing to make up for his promo style 
Well, that's why he has his wife and his kid in all his promos. You know, it's like, look over here, look over here. It's so, like a politician. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like running for office. And he's got a fat little, you know, chubby baby in a karate gi, like with a headband and stuff. So yeah, he dresses no. his kid just like him, and like yeah. it's like, it's like it might be like the most exploitative thing that I've seen in wrestling while we're doing this these this project, and it's him just rolling out his kid as mini me. <laughs> to to get him over like uh wow yeah if it were anybody other than ricky steamboat i probably wouldn't put up with it but no i would oh god get out of here i, I would also let tito santana get away with it because does tito have kids we should find out yeah never eh. anyway does they're probably our age honestly yeah you're probably right we could be facebook friends with tito santana's kids that'd be awesome and then we get invited to an event at tito santana's house Maybe to like his like granddaughter's quinceanera or something like yeah. that. That'd be awesome. And then we meet Tito Santana. Okay. New new business. New business plan. Yeah. Here we go. This is the plan. New strategy. New strategy. Here we go. <laughs> it's happening. All right. So then uh, after Ricky Steamboat plays the chubby baby card, we get to our next match, which is Sting versus Hacksaw Butch Reed. And we just lost Hacksaw Butch Reed last year, I think. So yeah. Um, sorry to sorry to see him um, go. Um, Teddy Long is referee in this one, player. So that's yeah. exciting. Um, he doesn't. He, he doesn't make the Undertaker come out and fight anyone, though. Yeah, <laughs> he's got some time yet. Yeah. Uh, and you better settle in for another long match because this is like twenty minutes. Yeah, this was another long one, but it was significantly in better quality than the first match because it's Sting and Butch Reed. Um, both of these guys look jacked. Oh my god, they're huge. And Sting has got this Brian Bosworth-esque flat top and ducktail haircut. Ugh, can we? That is, oh, like, it's it's I, quintessential '80s, yeah, south of the Mason-Dixon line haircut. It's awful. Well, the, the flat top is fine. It's that ducktail rat tail thing. Like, I know that fashion trends are circular, but if we could do something to make sure that that never ever comes back, um, I would appreciate it. Yeah, I think step one's going to be like destroying the tape of this show. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Jim Ross keeps referring to Butch Reed's uh, right hand as a big soup bone. Uh, <laughs> at least two or three times he calls mm-hmm. it. And with that big soup bone of a right hand, he clubs on Sting. Like, oh, God. Um, I'm not sure how to feel about that. Is that. Yeah, it's it felt weird, but I yeah. guess there isn't really anything wrong with it. I do like soup. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't, but that's okay. <laughs> Who doesn't like soup? What's wrong with you? But it was Magnum TA that was dropping the racist lines in this one. Yeah. Um, there was a whole lot of referencing of how Hiro Mitsuda, who is the Butch Reed's manager, because of his Asian descent, uh, knows all the pressure points. Um, mm-hmm. But he was not saying because he is Asian, but because of another word. Um, and Jim um, Ross is, is just letting it float by. Um, I, I mean, yeah. it's, it's the 80s, so I don't I wouldn't expect it. But like whatever jim ross at least isn't also using it too but yeah well he's got his soup bone metaphor he can go back to yeah he can just pound it on the soup bone magnum ta's got his uh <laughs> took the took the soup bone to the pressure point this has to be early in magnum ta doing commentary because he's pretty god awful yeah he's not good um magnum ta keeps uh says that like oh he's setting him up he's getting him ready but i don't know what he's getting him ready for like, what what <laughs> <laughs> A big night out, like what? Like, right. You know, maybe, maybe hold off if you don't know what you're gonna say. 
<laughs> there's a huge style difference between the first match and this match too because sting is mm-hmm. so fast and he's flipping and he's reversing and he's jumping but like butch reed is a big muscle guy so it's a really great like clash of two different styles of wrestling yeah i would i wrote down that sting is really agile for such a big guy um and i also you know this is sort of peak sting i would say you know he looks like a baby first of all uh, i haven't really seen that much of him from this era because i wasn't as much of a wcw fan as you were um, but i really like the colorful tights and the face paint and the i, I much prefer that to the uh, black and white undertaker ripoff that he did later um but i would say sting kind of heals it up a little bit in this one he uh he's biting on butch's soup bone hand at one point. oh yeah yeah that was good um and the ref gets distracted he's like yeah anytime the ref gets distracted he's like using his his legs on the ropes it's uh it's the hulk hogan school of acting yeah. like a heel even when you're the baby face yeah like uh it's like the crowd forgives him because i mean sting is so fucking cool he's in the neon pants and he's got the flat top and the ducktail and the face paint <laughs> you know it's it, it, interesting spoken. he's also billed as venice from venice beach just like hmm. hulk hogan Hmm. Interesting. So, though I wonder if yeah. Sting is actually from there. I doubt he is, but Sting uh gets his comeback after getting kind of beaten down for a little bit, but you can tell Butch is a little blown up here towards the end of the match. Um there's a really weak ass kick out where it's supposed to be one of those deals where he kind of like throws Sting up in the air with both arms, but he oh, like yeah. barely barely moves him and after watching that training video with uh, Matsuda, I was kind of surprised. I'm like, "Man, I thought this guy would have cardio for days but maybe you know maybe it's just an off night i couldn't do a tenth of that um so i don't i'm not was this a little early in butch reed like how early was butch reed like are you still googling sting or you uh sting was from omaha nebraska um pretty far from uh yeah venice Venice Beach. beach so he's built from three different places throughout his career he's built from venice beach he's built from charlotte north carolina and he's built from your nightmares (laughs) <laughs> my nightmares how do you know butch reed uh actually started wrestling in 1978 yeah so he's a little I, bit older than ron simmons but not yeah. much so i was one so he would have been what 11 years into his pro career here yeah so anyway this one has another real quick finish uh butch tries a pin with his legs on the rope uh and then teddy breaks it up playa and Sting just kind of flips him over and gets the pin. Yeah, it um, was uh, like, well, bang bang. Yeah, wrap it up. It was weird. There's some good moves in this one. I liked this match actually. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was a little long, but I enjoyed it. And like once I got used to the pace because of how long that first match was, I didn't notice how long this match was. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, and well, so after that first match, I kind of looked at Wikipedia and I'm like, okay, what's the runtime on these other matches and i kind of noticed that oh they're all sort of in the same territory so i'm just gonna have to like adjust my expectations a little bit here yeah i mean we've gotten so used to wrestlemania like matches like wwf matches they're going like three four minutes for the most part maybe maybe up to 10 if it's if it's an intercontinental championship match yeah so like you have like a, a wrestlemania card with like eight or nine matches so like what the wrestling classic in 85 that we watched that was what two and a half hours long and there was a 16 man (laughs) tournament in it so plus a main event right so that that gives you an idea of of this like the contrasting styles that were happening between the two wrestling promotions yeah and this one has a section in the middle where um butch is kind of grinding down sting in a in a chin lock and sort of taking him down to the 
to the men and it just like kind of grows on and on and on and on and like that that is definitely a style difference from the the wwf stuff so after the bell butch attacks um while sting's music is still playing um and and that one's over then yeah i mean we didn't i didn't quite understand why he turned why he attacked sting like that but i guess you know he's a bad guy well i think he thought he was getting the pin right like there's yeah. a couple of matches like that here where one guy thinks he's getting the pin, but it's actually the other guy. Um, and so what I'm learning from this is that the the refs are very sneaky. Uh, don't trust them. They'll just count on you. Yeah, they don't even care. They'll count. So. They won't tell you why they're counting. <laughs> or who they're counting for. Right. So we get a, a Polly Dangerously promo after this. He is super skinny. He's got a terrible, terrible mullet. Uh, it's 1989. We'll forgive both of those things, I guess. He's um, such a baby here. He's so, yeah, he's so young. He's crazy. Uh, I like him, though. I mean, I, st- yeah. I still really enjoy Paul Heyman in uh, WWE today. He gave he gives a great promo. Like, it's so good. He's like great eye contact right on the camera. And it's like he's fully in, into character and just has this energy that just like, draws you in that makes you can't look away from his promo yeah he must just he must have just come out of the womb like that or something i don't know he's he just seems to be a natural on the on the mr charisma yeah (laughs) so that leads us into the very confusing midnight express versus the original midnight express um so the midnight express here is bobby eaton and stan lane with jim Cornette. Uh, versus the original Midnight Express, uh, which is Jack Victory and Randy Rose with Pauly Dangerously. And this is a Loser Leaves the NWA match. This is this is the match that shows the conflict that is happening backstage so much. We're going to go into the story of the Midnight Express a little bit. This is a very cut and dry. This isn't Jim Cornette's two-hour biography of the Midnight Express. This is just a a straight up just like this is this is what what went on so dennis condry and randy rose uh formed the midnight express condry then left for mid-south wrestling and while there condry formed a midnight express with bobby eaton and jim Cornette. condry then leaves to go back to to uh jim crock promotion stan lane replaces him with Bobby Eaton. So Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton are now the Midnight Express. Condry reunites with Rose, with Randy Rose, and forms another Midnight Express with Polly Dangerously. So now we have two Midnight Expresses. But right before this match, um, Dusty Rhodes gets replaced as Booker and Dennis Condry doesn't like the person that is replacing him, and there's a lot of tension between them, or as they call, heat between them, but it's real heat. It's legit heat. So Condry quits right before the match, and so he gets replaced with Jack Victory, who is a jobber, also known as Russian Assassin number two. So now we have the Midnight Express, Versus the original Midnight Express, but it's not the original Midnight Express anymore because Dennis Condry has left again. It's, 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 I, I don't even know. I guess they needed to keep this match on the card just because it was gonna, it was big time. And they were actually using the, um, the loser leaves town thing to cover 
the um, the real life reasoning of Dennis Condry leaving, but he left before the match. Oh, that's fascinating. I, I guess I'll spoil the victory, the the ending here that um, Jim Cornette's Midnight Express wins the match. But you know, Jack Victory doesn't leave the NWA. What? Uh, <laughs> now I believe I do believe Paul. Paul E. leaves, and so does Randy Rose. Um, but the stakes suddenly are like completely undercut in this match because the guy that's really the center of all the controversy is Dennis Condry, and he's already gone. <laughs> and of course, in the pre-match promos and then during the commentary on this one, they're making a big deal about how the Midnight Express have, have trained and they've planned to face Dennis Condry and then this swap for the Russian assassin number two slash Jack victory slash complete rando uh, is, you know, is going to mess up their plans and they're going to have to adjust their game plan and all this stuff. And that's, so that sort of becomes part of the story, but it, you can sort of tell even, even without reading all the stuff going on, that that was kind of a half-assed uh, explanation pasted onto something else that, that's going on for this thing here. Right. Like Paulie in that promo says that he's brought in, uh, jack victory as as extra muscle um that dennis was not going to be strong enough to pull this out so he just wants to make sure that jim Cornette and his midnight express has to leave so he brings in the extra muscle of jack victory to fight the match yeah so this is still a fun match i gotta say i mean there's a lot of shenanigans between Cornette and paulie dangerously Cornette's wearing some kind of red superhero getup. He looks like the greatest American hero. Uh, he's waving his tennis racket around like a maniac. There, yeah, there's. I wrote manager fight with an exclamation point because they, they actually get into it at one point. It was kind of fun. And then yeah. Cornette makes a hot tag to Stan because he's, he's out of his depth there. This match for a gimmick uh, six-man tag was actually really enjoyable, I felt. There was just the right amount of the managers being in the ring to the actual like wrestlers being in the ring and really doing work. Um, all the guys really did a great job working in this match too. And especially Bobby Eaton, Bobby Eaton is always a pleasure to watch. Even his later stuff where he's practically a jobber in WCW. He's, he's great at putting other people over. He's great at bumping. He's a good mover. Um, he's surprisingly agile for his size. Yeah. He's a big um, dude. My main complaint for this one, first of all, Randy and Jack are both ugly AF. No offense to them, but they're they are not people who should be on television, probably. Um, and it's also really confusing that one of those guys, I'm not going to remember which one, is wearing the exact same color trunks as the other Midnight Express. So there's three guys yeah. with sort of the same like build and hair and trunks. Uh, and I, I honestly, there, there was a few times where I kind of oh. couldn't tell what the hell was going on. Right. See, that would have been the gimmick of this match if Dennis Condry hadn't left and Jack <laughs> right. Victory came in. So Jack Victory is wearing his normal wrestling gear and Randy Rose is also wearing his normal Midnight Express gear. And then Jim Cornette's Midnight Express is also wearing their standard gear. So it would have been it would have made sense to you if it had still been Dennis Condry also wearing the Midnight Express gear because then it would look like two teams that are both fighting for the identity like right if the if there was two different new york yankees you know both of them are going to wear pinstripes to the game and because they're the yankees and i think that that would have been what they were going for here 
but <laughs> but it didn't work out that way. No. I mean, I guess one of my question is I don't I didn't read up on this like you did, but when did that change happen? Because like was it like that week or something that they didn't have time to sort of adjust? Like, um, I'm not quite sure, but it had to happen very soon yeah. for them to have to like rush him in and just be like, all right, get in there. Russian assassin number two, take off your mask yeah. <laughs> and just go by your, uh, go by another name. It had to be, it had to be pretty, pretty recent. The crowd is super into this match. The crowd does not like Polly dangerously at all. There's a Polly no. sucks chant. There's a lot of middle fingers yes. waving around. Um, there's a dude in the second row who's wearing a ski mask through the entire thing, which is very distracting and a little disturbing. It is February in Chicago. Yes. How cold is it in that arena though? During this match, Jim Ross, like he's, he starts really diving into the backgrounds of all the wrestlers. Cause I mean, he's got 20 minutes per match basically (laughs) to talk. Um, so like he talks about how Stan Lane is from Myrtle beach and he informs us that Stan Lane and Vanna White may be friends because Vanna White is also from Myrtle Beach and, and approximately the same age. Um, so he's completely just speculating at this point. Like, is he out of things to talk about? <laughs> like, he's just speculating that Stan Lane and Vanna White are friends. I, yeah. I don't understand what's happening there. Um, the, there's an amazing breakdown in the action of this match where suddenly, like, all six men are just going at yeah. it at, near the end. And it's 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 perfectly timed. Um, and then out of nowhere, the win happens. Same, yeah. Same as the um, other ones. Uh, yeah. The ending of this one is complete chaos and it's actually, it's, it's good chaos though. It's a lot of fun. It's not like yeah. crap chaos where you can't tell what's going on. You know, it's, it's clearly put together and planned out, um, so that the, the story doesn't get lost in the, in the mess. Right. And timed perfectly for the, for the, for it too. Like it, it happens near the end. And it just is, and it triggers perfectly. It's just suddenly everybody's in the ring and everybody's fighting and it's spilling out everywhere. And then suddenly there's a double teamed face buster spike thing and the win, they roll them up to win. So I guess Randy Rose has got to go and Jack victory just goes about his life. <laughs> so long guys. You can back to, maybe uh, Randy can become Russian assassin number three. Maybe. All right. So we uh, leave the midnight versus the midnight um, we had a classic Ric Flair promo next. He's doing all his Ric Flair stuff. I could watch those one million times and never get tired of it. Did he mention being Space Mountain in this, in this I think promo? he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As you, everybody wants to go on the ride, you know, so he's Space Mountain. Um, that's my, one of my favorite things with Ric Flair that he ever says, that I'm I'm, I'm Space Mountain. Woo! It's like, oh, so good. Like... <laughs> It's like just close enough to filthy that you can say it on TV and yeah. and not get censored, right? Right. And he's just like sounds he always sounds like he's almost unhinged, but he just has a hair of control still. Yeah, he's masterful. I think top five promo guys in the business, I think. For sure. All right. So we leave that classic Ric Flair promo and we get into this next match, which is a barn burner. This is a. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is a forgotten classic. I don't you know, I didn't really I didn't know this. This match was here. Um, the of course, the Ric Flair and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat gets all the attention from this particular match. But 
holy shit, you guys. Right. We um, started watching wrestling and a wrestling match broke out. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, kind of thing. <laughs> Who'd have guessed? So this is Mike Rotunda, uh, who we saw in WrestleMania 1, actually, with the U.S. Express, him and uh, Barry Windham. Uh, later, of course, Mike Rotunda is in the IRS in the WWF. So Mike Rotunda versus Rick Steiner, uh, and Scott Steiner is in Rick's corner. This is the NWA World Television Championship match. So right off, you know, you can kind of guess this one's going to be a bit of a shoot. Both of these guys have amateur cred. Rotunda played football and wrestled for Syracuse. He was a starting tackle uh, on the football team. He was a starting heavyweight on the wrestling team. He's like, again, a legit amateur wrestler, athlete, all-around stud. Jim Ross also points out to us that Mike Rotunda was a finalist at the punt pass kick competition in the NFL (laughs) at one point out of like all of his like credentials. That's the one that Jr. really, really focuses in on is that he can punt pass and kick. Oh, Hey, Um, that's impressive. He's a triple threat. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not even sure where to start because this shit is amazing. There's an old lady in the front row who's losing her goddamn mind throughout this match. Both of these guys are like covered in sweat almost immediately. And you can tell there's like an actual athletic contest going on here. Yeah, they're they're really fighting. They're really locked up. They're really shooting. They're really going for it. And you can even see that they're really trying to keep it the wrestling because uh, at one point they break and Steiner has a perfect own opening to punch uh rotunda and he doesn't you can see him pull the punch back because he he wants to keep it as as a wrestling match and that was that really let you know where this match was going and that they were going to wrestle it out and they're going to fight and they're going to do it yeah and i imagine that the opportunities for these guys to do that sort of thing you know we're sort of limited you know we're kind of past the early days of of the nwa and you know in the in the 60s and 70s when there was sort of the expectation that everybody coming in would sort of have some sort of amateur you know legitimate wrestling credentials you know like we're getting we're getting farther and farther away from that so the number of people on the roster who could engage with them in this sort of contest is is more and more limited so they they have the opportunity here and they freaking go for it and we're all luckier for the fact that they did yeah because these are two guys that really i only have seen under the wwf flag and the wwf and anything that i've watched never let rick steiner wrestle like this and definitely never let mike rotunda slash irs perform like this like if irs wrestled like this (laughs) Oh my God, he would have been my favorite. Oh yeah, he like, would have been my favorite wrestler down. of the '90s. Like it's crazy, you know. And we actually, in I think one of the blog posts about one of I can't remember which WrestleMania it was, where he was with uh, Ted DiBiase. Obviously, we actually did sort of call out that yeah, he really knows what he's doing. You can tell he's very, he's a very smooth worker. You know, really lays his shit in. But again, it's still it's nothing like what we've got here. These guys are hitting each other. They are holding each other. They are stretching each other. They are pushing each other to the limits. And like you, like you mentioned, they're, they're sweating and they are coated in sweat because this is real. We're watching something real. Like I didn't take a lot of notes on this match just because I suddenly realized about 30 seconds in that I was watching a real wrestling match. (laughs) I was watching two guys really try to fight and really try to do it. And it's something that we don't see. Ever. Yeah. The it's funny, the sweating thing is actually 
noticeable. Like, I mean, obviously it's it's a physical sport, you know, wrestlers get sweaty, but like the there's a difference, I think, between, you know, sort of usual like performing sweat and like like you said, sort of the head to toe full body exertion that these guys are going through. So Right. Um, I, I like you. I didn't take a whole lot of notes on like individual moves. Uh, Rotunda nearly takes Rick's head off with a clothesline at one point. That's one of the that's one of the few like, you know, pro wrestling moves that that we see in this thing. Uh, Steiner gets some color at one point. He's bleeding. He's not bleeding that much. He'll be fine. I don't even know what calls. I don't either. I didn't see it. I never saw an opportunity for him to blade, I don't Mm -hmm. think. And if he did blade himself, man, was he good at hiding it? Maybe he gets it the hard way. Who knows? Near the end, the sleeper hold that Rick puts on Mike Rotunda is very convincing looking. Yeah, I wondered about that. actually. And Mike is, is trying to wrestle out of it. And Steiner like suddenly breaks it, pushes him and bounces his head off the turnbuckle. <laughs> like he hits the he hits that corner hard and then slaps it back into him off of the off the rebound and then goes down and like. Rotunda's unconscious. Like, yeah. <laughs> if he's probably not really unconscious, it's probably a work. But boy, did he sell yeah. it. Well, and you could totally buy it too because they were, like you said, they're going at it. Um, this one. I mean, if anything, he's exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> I was tired just watching it. I needed a nap after oh. I watched this. So I had to sponge off myself. Anyway, um, so this one, this one kind of also has sort of a bullshit ending to it. Um, Steiner gets his chokehold on Rotunda, but Rick's shoulders are on the mat. So like Mike's laying on top of him and he's, you know, kind of got him in like a rear naked choke kind of thing. Um, and so the ref counts, but he's counting actually Rick's shoulders. And so the bell rings, Rick thinks he's won, but, uh, you know, in reality, he, Mike Rotunda pinned Rick with his own back, I guess, which is a, is that a move? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of, like, distraction, too, that was happening because, like, Kevin Sullivan gets on the microphone. So this is this was actually one of the moments where I felt like the play-by-play commentary that we were hearing was possibly put in later because JR is talking about Rick Steiner loving his dog and stuff like that. And the moment JR finishes saying that, Kevin Sullivan is on the PA system in the arena going, I know your dog's in the back in the locker room, Rick. I hope nothing happens to him. Oh, yeah. And like, because like Kevin Sullivan is an evil bastard. Um, <laughs> Who would threaten a man's dog? Right. And so like Rick is trying to tell his brother to go back and try to deal with it. And, and like it, it ends up being like almost no influence on the match. But it was weird. And it was a weird thing to throw in there at, during a match that definitely like these guys were working and like keeping it legit. And then suddenly like evil Kevin Sullivan pipes in about the guy's dog. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not cool, Kevin. I'm super glad that we got this match here again. I didn't really have any uh, idea what to expect once it started. But like, man, it's a it's a sleeper. Um, if you like actual yeah. wrestling, uh, if you like wrestling and stuff that's cool like this is this is a match yeah this match both sent us tumbling into the the rabbit hole of looking for shoot wrestling on youtube yeah and uh mike rotunda especially has a bunch of um good ones out there there's a sort of classic one i've seen a few times from uh wcw i guess mid 90s right or early 90s yeah it's it's actually not long after after this event 
he's still in varsity club and stuff like that. And he fight. No, he's captain at this point. He's somehow a ship captain. Um, that's his thing. <laughs> right. at this captain point. Mike Rotunda. They kept calling him that. Right. So this is, this is his like yachting sporty moment. And he was fighting what death row death row. Yeah. And in the middle of the match, death row doesn't sell. And so Mike just starts stretching him out. <laughs> <laughs> twisting him up yeah it's it's fascinating to watch actually and he maybe this is a good one we can add to our media page um but he like grabs him and kind of takes him down and stretches him out and you can kind of see him talking to death row right like basically like get your shit yeah. get your shit together you know quit messing around and he gets back up and then death row just kind of keeps at it and so he takes him down a second time and, and you he wraps and him you up can, and you, you can, can hear him go damn <laughs> or no he, yeah you can hear you can hear death row going jesus man shit <laughs> like <laughs> like he's twisting him up into pretzels you know? like i had it coming so, so yeah and oh death row is like much bigger he's very large of a guy and mike rotunda is just like i don't care (laughs) i'm gonna fuck you up you're going down yeah he could have given up another 50 pounds and he still would have beaten that guy's ass so all right so yeah i I don't know that um you know mike rotunda is not going to bump tito santana off of my all-time fan club list here but like i'm a fan he moved up he moved up a lot in my book watching this match i i never knew I, I I honestly didn't know until I watched that match because I never thought much of his work as IRS and and stuff. And then suddenly we see this match where he's allowed to work and he really does his thing. And my jaw was on the floor and like I couldn't I couldn't stop watching. I rewound it a couple times and I'm probably going to watch it again. <laughs> All right. Well, well, not right now. Let's um no. Let's keep moving before people start tuning out. So next up, we've got Lex Luger uh, against Mike Rotunda's old tag team partner, Barry Windham. And Barry is here with Hiro Matsuda as his uh, manager. This is the NWA United States Championship match. So I don't know. What what do you want to say about this one? I noted that it looked like two bull elks locking antlers <laughs> at the start of this match. Like They basically are just like pushing each other around and like, Luger is working like crazy. He's just like moving around. He's overselling a little bit. He's bouncing around everywhere. And this is a huge guy. And that, and, but he's still like really aggressively bouncing around. And Barry just like weathers the storm through the whole match. He's just like Luger's just coming at him full speed. Jim Ross keeps calling him the package, which was cracking me up. <laughs> Luger also no sells a back body drop, which was weird. Yeah. But then also very impressive because like he just like hits the mat with his back and it's like suddenly he's standing. Like I don't know what he did. Like it was so quick for him to get up. I I don't know what happened. Yeah, he bounced right up. I didn't know. I, yeah, I saw that one too. I don't, I don't know. Barry Windham's hand legit gets jacked. Yeah, like he's bleeding from his hand, and like there's all these cuts along it, and like he may have actually like broke his hand in the spot where like he went to punch Luger and hit the ring post instead. That did not seem like a work. No, he he really did look uh, legitimately injured, and the way he's like cradling it too through some of the match, I'm like man, it made me a little uncomfortable. Yeah, I couldn't tell how much of that was uh, was selling and how much of that was like legit injury. Yeah, this is a decent match. Um, I don't, I th- I think I was still catching my breath a little bit, honestly, after the previous match. Yeah. Um, so I maybe didn't pay as close attention as I should have. Um, but this, again, this one's got another total BS ending. Um, so Wyndham like German suplexes Luger and the ref starts counting both men's shoulders are down 
when the ref starts counting. So Lex raises his shoulder at two, and then Wyndham raises his shoulder like just a half second later. But by then, the ref has counted three on Wyndham's shoulder. So, yeah, really, really strange pin. These are NWA finishes, yeah, man. You got to get used I to guess. them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Lex Lex gets the belt here, and after the after the bell, Wyndham, even though his hand is all jacked up, still manages to nail Lex with a really nasty pile driver. Yeah. Anything? Any other moments from this one that you wanted to call out? Uh, the only thing I can really think of is that this, this match looked the most like a WWF match of all the matches that are on this card. Like it was just two big hawking guys pushing at each other for, <laughs> for a couple minutes. Yeah. Oh, so we get a, a little promo with Mike Rotunda after here. He's back in the locker room. He's celebrating his win. He actually messes up the name of the belt that he just won. I don't know if you caught that. He's, yes. he starts to say, uh, the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, but the one that he, the one that he just won was the World Television Championship. So he corrects himself. Um, but yeah. that made me laugh a little He's bit. He's about to announce himself the World Heavyweight <laughs> Champion. He's like, I'm now the World Television Champion. Yeah. That made me laugh a little bit. So yeah. And from there, we move into the big tag team championship match for this one. So we've got the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, with Paul Ellering. And, of course, Hawk and Animal and the Road Warriors, like, just absolutely massive with the NWA audiences. You know, there's a term, you know, the Road Warrior pop from a crowd when those guys show up. Like, they just were over in a way that I don't know if anybody was really very few. I don't think any tag team had ever been over as much as they have. crazy. They're the Hulk Hogan of tag teams. And of course, you know, when they came over to the, the WWF as the Legion of Doom, they just kind of messed up their whole thing and, and really, they didn't quite bury them. They got quite a push, you know, they got a lot of attention, but they just never used them in the same effective way. Um, yeah. Did you notice that at one point the crowd is chanting LOD? Yeah. I don't know what that was all about. I don't, I don't, I didn't understand that either. Like, I don't, they have, Road Warriors hadn't been in WWF yet, I don't think. No. As the Legion of Doom. It's, I don't think this was like a bounce back for them or anything. So I just thought that was really interesting that the crowd is chanting Legion of Doom at them. Well, let's see what the, what the internet has to say here. Um, maybe it was like a name that they gave their fans or something like that. Um, yeah, possibly. The Road Warriors are followed by their Legion of Doom. So they performed under the name Road Warriors in AWA, the NWA, and WCW. Oh, right, we can, we know that. Live research happening right That's before okay. your ears, ladies and this gentlemen. This is what the edit button is for. Oh, okay. Here we go. Okay, I read. This is the this is what the Wikipedia thing says. Georgia Championship Wrestling, this is in the early 80s, 83, 84. They had some rapid success, and then they dumped Paul Ellering as a manager, claiming they did not need him. And then that was short-lived, as in early 1984, they and Precious Paul Ellering formed a stable called the Legion of Doom in the NWA's Georgia Championship Wrestling territory. The group consisted of the Road Warriors, Jake the Snake Roberts, and the spoiler, Donald Delbert Jardine, uh, short-lived and the name Legion of Doom soon referred only to the Road Warriors and Ellering, with either name used interchangeably throughout their career. So there you go. Interesting. Yeah, so they actually were kind of called uh, the Legion of Doom sort of as a throwback to that earlier stable that they had had. This is a very educated Chicago crowd. Oh my God, yeah, these guys have been with it for a long time. Anyway, so it's the Road Warriors uh, up against Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and... Kevin Sullivan, 
dog hater, terrible person. This is for the NWA World Tag Team Championship match. Dr. Death is a monster. Oh my God, he's huge. Him and Animal are just two absolute slabs of beef. And every time they get in the ring and like start bouncing off each other, I, I worried for the architecture of that place. The the moment where uh, Dr. Death actually gets off his feet in a straight vertical jump and kicks Animal in the face, is, I I had to pause it. <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't handle that moment. There's some shocking stuff in this match. There's another shot later where they run Hawk into the ring post outside the ring. And the whole ring is like shimmying from side to side. Yes. It's like, holy crap, it's going to come down. <laughs> I was sort of on the edge of my seat. I'm like, it's happening. It's happening. Yeah, they, these teams just like beat the shit out of each other. And the Road Warriors, I mean, I hadn't seen too much of their stuff. I had seen a good portion of their WWF stuff, but their WWF stuff is is fairly tame compared to the stuff that they're doing here. They're they were snug and they were hitting. And then like I sent you that one clip with like the Road Warriors just like pounding that guy's shit like <laughs> brutally. This like like they're trying to kill him, I think. And I, I can understand why the crowd loved them so oh much. God, they were yeah. stiff workers and they just beat the hell out of people. Yeah, and they're gigantic. They're just unstoppable force. And I I enjoyed this match actually. I enjoyed this was this was a lot of fun to watch. Um there's a few sort of botches um here. There's a there's a spot where Dr. Death tries to go up to the top rope but kind of messes up his footing so he ends up turning into this kind of weird little arm chop on animal yeah he should not have been trying for that that was not a good plan for the man that size he's way too large to do that one so there's a really nice hot tag to hawk at one point he comes in and cleans house the matchup is good because both of them have a monster guy right you've got animal on the yeah on the road warrior side and you've got dr death on the other side and then you've got sort of a slimmer more athletic guy um hawk and kevin i mean kevin sullivan's not that athletic and you have kevin sullivan who's just like a like (laughs) Like if Danny DeVito became a professional wrestler somehow, I think that would be Kevin Sullivan. Yeah, I don't know. This is this is just violence, honestly, start to finish. Yeah, I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, this is the closest to UFC you're gonna get yeah. in wrestling here at this point. So this one has another weird finish. There's no Doomsday device to end this match, and that's that's my only knock on this match. It's I love that finisher. Yeah. So Doctor Death has Animal kind of pinned by the ropes. Um, but he's like right under the rope. Like all you would have to do is like raise his pinky to touch the rope and, you know, break it up. And, but for whatever reason, Dr. Death thinks he's getting the pin. Meanwhile, behind him, Hawk kind of does this jumping clothesline off the top rope on Kevin Sullivan. So the ref counts on Sullivan, but Dr. Death sort of can't really see what he's actually counting. Of course, he thinks he won yet again, uh, but it's really the road warriors who got this one. Right. But I mean, if you're paying attention in any of the least amount of bet here, the road warriors pin is the legal one because sure. they're the they're the they're the pair that are the legal men in the ring yeah i don't know what dr death was doing no it was kind of a weird finish i don't know if it was more confusing to the audience in person or what but i mean i had no problem keeping track of who the legal men were in this no. match and it was pretty clear that it was who was it hulk and kevin sullivan yeah yeah. Well, yeah. I my my main question was like, just what the hell does Doctor Death think he's doing over there? Because he's, no. he's neither right. Neither of those guys are legal. He's again, he's right under the ropes. Um, the ref is nowhere near him while he's trying to do this pin, and he's also yeah. like doesn't really have him pinned. He's kind of like trying to push his shoulders. I don't know. It was weird. Um, that was a weird. Another weird ending. Again, another weird ending. Uh, lots and lots of violence in this one. Yeah, so like this 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 event after after that opening with uh Michael PS Hayes really 
really steps it up and is very engaging. Agreed. This is a lot of fun. And it really just kind of, it picks up steam and it doesn't really let up um, until we get in and not even, of course, when we get to the main event here, which is the reason that we started watching this in the first place, which is Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship match. So before the match, there's a good long recap of the Steamboat Flair uh, feud. There's some clips from uh, Clash of Champions and from another couple of shows. There's a really good promo Rick cuts on Ricky where they're in the ring together. And, and he's sort of making fun of Ricky's wife, like kind of browbeating him or, or being the one who wears the pants in the family. That was always kind of one of the things that they leveled on uh, on Ricky Steamboat. And, and Flair says, why don't you go home and help the missus with the dishes, pal? <laughs> <laughs> so Ricky Ricky slaps the shit out of him and then they really get to fighting and he tears Flair's clothes off, uh, which is a move that we don't really see so much anymore. No, but Flair was always good at like he always looked crazy because like his like chicken legs would be exposed <laughs> suddenly and like his, his pants are all torn, like he's missing one pant leg yeah. and and like it was always a classic moment with Ric Flair when his like five thousand dollar suit gets ripped up. Yeah. Well, and he, he always made such a big deal about how much his clothes cost, right? So it, it's, it's appropriate that uh, it's the first casualty. Yeah, I had watched something that actually said that, like, so, like, all those, like, promos where Ric Flair is talking about the cost of his suit and where he, and the tailor that he went to to get to the suit, that all of that was a shoot, that that was legit. Like, that was an actual local business that he was plugging on the air about their tailoring and their suits and i thought that was very fascinating and an interesting little thing i would go look at a at a uh, tailor because rick flair recommended it you know hell yeah he was always styling and profiling he was always sharp man anyway so that that video recap is actually quite a slugfest that was more exciting than some wrestlemania matches we've seen that was just the recap of the feud that gets them to this point and then we get to the match itself which um you know is one for the ages so I, I don't know. Where, where do you want to start? One, I mean, the entrance of Flair is magnificent. I was unaware that Ric Flair had been managed by Hiro Matsuda either. Um, so, again, another thing we're learning from this event was was that. Very educational. Um, yeah. Uh, Flair is in this amazing, bedazzled red robe with silver trim and feathers and He's got a harem of women with him ringside and he brings a, a a bouquet of roses and starts giving them all roses. Yeah. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's so much, it's, it's just so much flair. Yeah. It's great. And, um, and the contrast then with Ricky's entrance, which is very low key, you know, he's a family guy, right? He's got a fat baby with a karate outfit on. Like he's, he's, uh, he's a working he's man, a working man. He's, he brings he's, his, he's fighting ninjas and he's working it. <laughs> <laughs> and talking real low key on his promos. Um, right. Like this is actually Ricky's like one of his first matches back to uh Jim Crocker promotions and WA uh stuff. Like he had been in WWF up until about now. And the the heat that he built up with Flair was so quick. He immediately came, he just showed up and it was just immediately like, I want a title match against Flair. And it was just a matter of weeks before they had this match. It was pretty crazy. Mm. That's interesting. And it's a it's a perfect matchup for them. I think, you know, they work in a in a ways that really complement each other. I think every move, every reversal, every chop and shoulder block and clothesline here is just so crisp and clean and smart and 
everything about this match honestly is is incredible uh ricky chops flair over the top rope backwards at one point which is beautiful um flair goes all the way to the floor not just to the apron and then he yeah he does his front bump through the yeah, ropes right great yeah. he's really he comes up he's really selling his exhaustion flair like comes out with chops and then ricky just suddenly chops him right back like he's not taking any of this shit from the fancy flair and it's like these like solid karate chops right to the chest right on back and like they're tight they're very snug chops on both of them yeah they get into the technical stuff pretty quickly and the dragon goes for a quick pin and jr notes that the dragon doesn't get paid by the hour (laughs) (laughs) he goes for the win like 30 seconds into the match there's this there's this so much great selling on Flair's part as well. Ricky's grinding him in a headlock. I can hear Flair going, Oh God. Oh God. Oh like, oh the oh it's so good. Yeah. And they're like reversing each other and they're twisting around. And like Ricky is so fast yeah. and he moves from move to move. And like the moves don't seem like they would be related to each other. It's all very abstract, but yet there's a logical continuity to everything he's doing. I couldn't take my eyes off of this match at all for a second. Yeah. When we watched the wrestling classic, we noted sort of the flow that uh, Steamboat has in the ring. You know, it's one move right to the next, to the next, to the next. And there's just no, it's like the combo on Mortal Kombat or whatever. He just like gets right, right to it. Um, yeah, there's um, there's just a, there's just something very modern about his work, and there's like, so like we saw Sting, which is definitely like what's to come. To, but then Ricky Steamboat, even though he's a veteran at this point, he still looks and is is wrestling next generation of style of wrestling. Yeah, um, I, I feel like you know some of the current wrestlers actually could learn a lot by watching his old stuff and you don't have to do a ton right like he's he he has some big moves sometimes you know there's a really nice sort of double arm suplex that he does here that i don't know if i'd ever seen before um but the just the way that he does them and like i said the smoothness and the kind of the conviction with which he does all of his moves is just um really incredible there's another he he sells yeah. really well too. They're out on the floor and Flair chops him in the chest and he just drops to the floor like whole body yeah. straight down. Um that's pretty incredible. Flair locks Ricky into a figure four in the middle of the ring. And he's in that thing forever. Like like I feel like five minutes of this match is spent with Ricky in a figure four grinding away in the middle of the ring and he his facials and he's moaning he's he's trying not to show pain but then flair tweaks a little bit and he's in writhing in agony again and it's just so compelling even though it's just one move it's just one hold for a very long time but the way the two of them are are reacting to each other in this moment is just spectacular and there was also another moment that I thought was interesting that Flair lands a flying crossbody from the ropes, right? From the top rope. And that's how he beat Harley Race to win the NWA championship in a very lackluster match. Yeah. But I thought that was an interesting callback to to that. Um so this match just had everything in it. <laughs> I 
I don't know. I don't, I don't even know where to talk about it. Like, like Flair is doing all his dirty tricks with like using the ropes for leverage, trying to use the ropes to help him get a pin. Ricky just comes back at him with more chops and like, they're just, and like, so like they go technical and then suddenly they're just beating the shit out of each other. And then they're technical wrestling, Matt wrestling again. And it's so good. And it's, you can't stop watching. Yeah. I think, um, you know, as you're talking it, like the story that sort of evolves is right. You've got these guys that are really skilled technical wrestlers, you know, and they're here to do their wrestling thing. But on the other hand, they just friggin' hate each other. Right. So when they, when the wrestling breaks down and that's when they go back to the chopping the shit out of each other and the shots, the chops in that arena, just echo, like even over that Chicago crowd, you can hear them. Um, there's one, yes. there's one point where I'm pretty sure Ricky chops flair in the face in one of those exchanges. Oh yeah. Um, like maybe like the bottom of his jaw. Um, and that crossbody that you're talking about is off of the flare flip, right? He gets the hits, the corner yeah. flips over the turnbuckle and then runs like freaking sprints down the apron up the yeah. other, uh, set of, set of ropes to the crossbody and then ricky flips it over uh for a, a pin attempt and just a two count and that's normally the spot where flair gets caught on the top right. ropes and gets thrown but that didn't happen here this you know they they're mixing it up a little bit like flair is actually actually like moving a little bit faster so he doesn't get caught and is landing shit and is and like everything that you were expecting to have happen out of flair is not happening. Like flair actually goes on the offensive. Some mm-hmm. of this match, instead of just selling the whole time he lands, he does a double underarm, uh, suplex on Ricky steamboat. That's very tight and very impressive looking. And again, the figure four, and then like he goes for the figure four and steamboat reverses the figure four into a small package pen. And it was, yeah, it was very reminiscent of the, uh, the macho man, um yeah that we just watched at wrestlemania 8 of like out of nowhere the small package and the win yeah it's almost like flair is uh taking a page from ricky's book you know sort of upping the speed uh in order to compete um and it makes for a really compelling match the other thing i really liked about this match is jim ross is just going nuts on the announcing he is talking about the history of the nwa he's talking about the lineage of the belt going all the way back to lou says he's dropping names like crazy he talks about flair's plane crash and his broken back um and like on and on on like you could probably write a small chapter in a wrestling history book just off of uh, Jim Ross's commentary during this particular Jim Ross match. is having his own podcast during this match. He's just, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's actually, this is a long match yeah. too. This is the longest match of the card. It's 23 minutes long. Um, but compared to like that opening Michael Hayes match, which felt like easily twice that long, this thing is over before it really even, yeah. Before I felt like it even Yeah. Started, this match, so. it felt like a minute. It just, it was just cause it was just so yeah. smooth. And so, it's so logical from everything that they did. And yet it was also a war. They were at war with mm-hmm. each other. It was just, Oh, so I'll say, you know, a lot of times, you know, some of these matches get a lot of hype and you go back and actually watch them. And you're like, yeah, it's fine. I don't get it. Like this one. I get it. Right? Oh, yeah. Like I, I understand why people talk about this match. Um, I understand why people refer to it as, you know, it's sort of the top 10 ever, um, it's really worth your time. Um, even if you're not sort of into the NWA, um, if again, if you like wrestling, uh, this is a match for you. And it's interesting too, that it's not like this event needed this match to carry it. Like this was already a good event no. to watch. And then suddenly this match comes out of nowhere yeah. 
and just and is and is just great it's just like like for once the main event was the best match hands down by far no doubt yeah. no doubt yeah they could have totally wrapped this event up with that road warriors match because again the the way that the road warriors were over with the crowd it was a title match like it you know it delivered on the violence the crowd is super into it um but uh, again i'm glad that this match is here so yet another um kind of lame finish for this one i will say maybe you disagree i don't know but so the finish for this one is is flair's got his feet on the ropes for the pin the camera shot is looking under flair's legs to see the ref on the other side so the ref is like down there counting uh and he gets a two count three times in a row but he's like right next to flair's legs on the rope. it may have just been the camera angle but like yeah there's no way he can't see flair's legs on the rope um yeah i think that was on the ref that's not on um that's a that's a ref botch in my opinion yeah he should have been on the other side of ricky um and then it wouldn't have been quite so obvious like how bad it was so but um right after that the ref gets bumped and then as you mentioned flair goes for the figure four which kind of ricky sort of he reaches up kind of grabs him by the hair and sort of rolls him up into a small package for the win and the place just goes freaking nuts this is also where we get to see some old school he uh face locker room versus heel locker room of like all the faces are happy for ricky steamboat like you don't see that anymore where like it's just everybody all the good guys are all friends with each other and so like uh the steiners are back there and they're popping champagne sting is back there and they're congratulating ricky and like and then ricky gives this promo afterwards is like rick flair is a hell of a competitor (laughs) and When he's ready, and when I'm ready, he can have the first match. He can have the first challenge. He'll be he gets his rematch, and then he just starts chugging <laughs> champagne. Uh, well, so right before that, uh, he pours champagne over his own head, and then it clearly is burning the shit out yeah. of his eyes. And so his like <laughs> he's kind of sputtering, and he's got his eyes half closed. Eventually, somebody hands him a towel, but like my own eyes were watering, like watching that. I'm like, for the love of Christ, get this man a towel before he goes yeah. blind. So I was surprised he managed to get through that speech at all, actually. So, um, so this is there are four title matches in this uh, special, and out of those four, the the belt changes hands in three of them. Only the Road Warriors come in and then leave with the belt. Um, so it's a pretty momentous pay per view or show in terms of the uh, you know the storylines and the angles that that were leading in and then coming out of it. Yeah, this was a great show. I enjoyed it a great amount. <laughs> so we're really glad we watched it. Check it out. It's on the Peacock. It's under the WCW um, brand, uh, but it's easy enough to find Shytown town Rumble. So I do I have to ask about best match? I mean, I think we're in agreement, right? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be Flair versus Steamboat for me. It was technical but violent, and they beat the hell out of each other, and it, it had everything. It had great. everything. <laughs> if that match hadn't been here on the card then it would have been uh, mike rotunda and uh and steiner uh, which is another amazing yeah. match so but yeah there's it's not going to win out over rick flair and uh steamboat uh worst match uh, that's michael hayes versus russian assassin one uh, that match yeah. had nothing <laughs> it had it was too slow it was too long it had no meaning it was just weird and like I like Michael Hayes slash Doc Hendricks. I, I do like him. 
And I like the f- yeah. the fabulous freebirds of the stuff that I've seen of them. This match, I think there this was this was a card fill. This this probably would have been in WWF. This was a dark match to get the crowd warmed up. Yeah, actually, I'm a little surprised it made it onto the show, except for that um, Michael Hayes has sort of like the pre-show duties of like getting people hyped. Um, yeah, he's the carnival so. barker. Yeah. <laughs> I did all the cocaine. Here comes the show. It's a really good show, you guys. So. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> what was your uh, oh shit moment for this show? Uh, there's a couple good good examples in there but i think i had i went with the um the first exchange of chops between flair and steamboat um they were legit they were they were hard hitting and they sounded like gunshots and like and flair looked so shocked when ricky came back at him with a chop immediately and it was just such an amazing moment because like flair was walking into this match as like i'm the cocky champion no one's been able to beat me. I'm going to take him out. I've got this under my, I've got this, I got this. I don't have to worry about it. I brought all my ladies down to the ring to just, you know, to watch me. Uh, I'm just going to get this guy out of the way. And like he chops Ricky expecting Ricky just to capitulate. And then Ricky comes firing back out of the corner with his own chops. And they're just as devastating. Yeah, Ricky ain't having it. That's for sure. I, you know, I don't know actually what mine is for. It was pro. It's probably something out of that same match. Uh, there were a few times when I just, I just sort of like lost it when I was watching it. I think one of the big ones is that um, is Ricky chopping Flair over the top rope, and he just like goes all the way to the floor. That was a really good one. And then also uh, Flair then chopping Ricky while they're out on the concrete, and he just drops straight down. Um, both of those made me say, oh, shit, honestly. Those are good examples. So what are you rating this one? Man, this is tough. Um, it's tough because we really have a sort of mental model, I think, built on WrestleManias, you know? So a lot of the the comparisons that I would make um, don't necessarily apply because it's just a different kind of product and a different kind of show. And so it's almost not fair to sort of, like, judge it. So I'm sort of trying to judge it on its own on its own merits. Um, and honestly, I would give this one maybe at least a four, maybe even a four and a quarter out of five. Um, I could probably talked into it, be talked into a 4.5. Uh, and the reasons are, you know, the card is so solid start, not quite start to finish. <laughs> we'll, we'll take Michael Hayes and the Russian assassin off of there. Um, but otherwise like the quality of the talent here, the um, just the, I don't know, just the the clear um, skill that's on display through a lot of these these matches is not something that you necessarily get um, in other promotions at the same time. So, and of course, that amazing finisher of a main event. So, yeah, I'm going four and a quarter, um, maybe four and a five, four point five, depending on my mood yeah i understand how you feel about like trying to compare this to the wrestlemanias and such like that um so in my mind i was just trying to think of well did i enjoy watching this more than wrestlemania 19 did i enjoy this more than wrestlemania 8 did i enjoy this more than wrestlemania 18 and the answer is yes (laughs) after michael hayes and and the russian assassin it was nonstop action. 
all the matches were compelling. Lex Luger, Barry Windham, not exactly my cup of tea, but it was still a good match. And it's this match, this this event had something that like the, all those WrestleManias that I just listed, and most of the WrestleManias that we've watched don't have. So it has an incredibly solid main event, a main event that is worth paying the money to see. So you would have paid admission or paid for the pay-per-view or bought the VHS of this event alone to see Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair fight. But then it also has the sleeper match in it, Steiner and Rotunda. That's a total sleeper match that no one really talks about these days that deserves the talk. Um, Similar to like the Macho Man Ric Flair match that we just had on WrestleMania 8 that really not a lot of people talk about that match, but that match is amazing. So you have the main event that's worth price of admission. Then you have a sleeper match that's tagged onto it. And then you have a good tag team match championship defense with the road warriors versus Kevin Sullivan and Dr. Death. You see some real great fighting in that match. And then you have the compelling gimmick match as well with the six man tag. And I can't think of anything any other gimmicked six-man tag that we've seen in any of the WrestleManias that we've watched that was as good. So I think I'm with you that this is this is pushing 4.5 territory here. If, if we would have had a Dusty Rhodes match on this card, we could have been looking close to five on this one if like that Michael Hayes match would have been replaced with like a Dusty Rhodes versus Ron Simmons or something, something crazy like that. Like, but like yeah. people's heads would have been exploding and this show would have dominated everything and WWF would have just been like, well, we can't compete with that. Shut it down. (laughs) Cancel WrestleMania five. We're done. We just sell everything to the NWA, Jim Crockett or going right. Jim Crockett's still in business. Yeah. But no, this, this, the show was chef's kiss. (laughs) It's I can't. Well, that's a, that's a sparkling recommendation. So you heard, you heard it here first folks. Anybody. They wanted to see wrestling that was not the WWF product. I would tell them to start with this one. Probably, it's yeah. it's concise. You can it's easy to sit down and watch this in one run. And then it's got Ricky Steamboat versus Ric Flair in it. That you know neither neither of those men, while they did work in WWF, are really known for their runs in WWF very much. They're known for their runs here, and they put on a show for the ages. Yeah, it's a fantastic show. So I'm really glad we got a chance to dive into this one. We'll have to look for some other, um, you know, NWA, WCW shows from around this time period. So if you all have uh, recommendations of ones that you particularly like, uh, you know, we've watched Starcade. Uh, we had talked about whether we wanted to do a uh, episode on that, but honestly, that main event is kind of such a letdown um, in that first Starcade, that Harley Race and Flair that we kind of had had shied away from it a little bit, but um, anyway, if you want to if you want to have watch something in uh, something specific, you can tweet at us at WrestleMania Pod. You can email us at WrestleManiaBlog at gmail dot com, or you can visit our website at AllTheWrestleManias dot com and do our little uh, online request form, and we'll we'll do our best to get to it.
Alrighty, so as we do with every event, we like to just take a moment to pay tribute to the men and women who are no longer with us from that event. So our in memoriam section for this show, the 1989 Chi-Town Rumble, includes David Sheldon, aka Russian Assassin Number One, aka the Angel of Death, Paul Frederick, aka Manager Paul Jones, Hacksaw Butch Reed, Hiro Matsuda, Bobby Eaton, Road Warrior Animal, and Road Warrior Hawk. Dr. Death Steve Williams. Also, a special shout out to Bob Cottle, the uh, locker room uh, interviewer on this show, who is still alive. He was uh, in his 60s when this was done in 1989. He was born in either 1930 or 1932, um, so you know he's old when you can't quite pinpoint a date of birth. Um, so he's he's in his early 90s at the very least, and he, as far as we can tell, is still out there and kicking. So uh, you know, we enjoyed his work here. We recognize and respect his long tenure with um, with WCW and the NWA. So um, thanks for that, Bob. Yeah, we did some serious research to try and figure out whether he's still alive. And I should have remembered from my actual job that um, it's harder to prove someone alive than prove them dead. Um, and so <laughs> once true. it became really difficult to find him dead, we should have known that he was alive. But then we found that tweet from uh, Tony Schiavone from back in January of him Bob having lunch together and that was a really sweet photo and I wish you all the best Bob yeah they were at a pretty dope looking buffet too so Tony next time you guys do that give us a call we we can throw down at a buffet so alrighty well that'll wrap up this episode of all the Wrestlemanias on the NWA Chi-Town Rumble from 1989. We hope you've enjoyed listening. As always, find us on Twitter at WrestleManiaPod, on uh, the web at AllTheWrestleManias.com. You can find our blog at AllTheWrestleManias.wordpress.com. And, of course, you can email us at WrestleManiaBlog at gmail.com. So, for now, I'm Tim Hackman. And I'm Rich Sigwald. Woo! So, <laughs> so long, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>